0: This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive-compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgetch, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD.
1: And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment,
0: creativity and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. Welcome to our next skills episode. When trying to think about treatment options for clients, we can get bogged down in the options that are out there. When treating OCD there are several options and modalities for treatment from inpatient settings to one-on-one therapy and group therapy in between. In this episode, we talk about how to
1: adapt ERP for the group setting and spoiler alert, you don't actually have to adapt it very much. We talk about how to structure a group therapy program, the challenges of managing time and cost limitations and the power of hearing group participants support one another.
0: Let's get started. Hi, Tori. (laughs) (laughs) We've been chatting all morning. It feels weird (laughs) saying hello again. It does feel weird saying hello again. Hi, Celine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice to be back. Skills episode number nine. We're getting through them, aren't we? Yeah, but, you know, just no end in sight as well. You know, the number of things we can talk about. You are all stuck with us
0: forever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness.
1: So the topic of today, ERP in group therapy. I think group therapy is on our minds quite a lot. And we've recently had our Claire Lawson episode air talking all about ERP in group therapy. So we thought, you know, this would be a great topic to do a bit of a deep dive in because group therapy is such a a great adjunct slash alternative to individual therapy. It's also, it's one of my favorite forms of therapy. I just love running groups. Yeah, they're fun. I think it's terrific. Yeah. And it's great to know as a clinician how to adapt ERP into the group format. And I think as a client, it's nice to know what it might look like and what it might feel like and the different therapeutic options that are actually available to you. So, you know, something you might want to Talk to your clinician about if it sounds interesting to you or helpful.
0: A lot of my clients, you know, when we have our intakes for our groups at the clinic, they're like, what am I going to be expected to do? What's going to happen? What's the structure like? So I think it's a nice way of demystifying it a little bit. Absolutely. Well, where do you think the place to start talking about ERP and group therapy? Where should we begin? I think it might be worthwhile perhaps starting with what that picture actually looks like in terms of individual versus group. Not a versus group, but like compared to group. So I think with individual sessions, they can start off fairly structured, especially when you're meeting someone for the first time, getting to know them, you know, especially in the beginning of our skills episodes, we've kind of followed that same sort of structure, haven't we, where we've talked about intake, assessments, psychoeducation, and all that sort of stuff. But once you get into the treatment side of things, there's a lot more room to explore individual hurdles when you're working one-on-one with your clients. And you can kind of deep dive into certain things that come up. Whereas you might not have that flexibility necessarily in group because you might be juggling anywhere between five and possibly 10 group members by the time you get through everybody. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And also not everyone's willing to share as much in a group setting. And sometimes some content isn't appropriate to share in a group setting either. So you are a little bit limited from that perspective, I think, but there are so many advantages to running a group as well.
1: Well, yeah, that's right, because it's all those dynamic factors, isn't it? If anyone's interested, Irvin Lom is a really good psychologist, psychiatrist rather, American clinician. You could have a look at. He's got a terrific text about group therapy, but he's done a lot of writing around what he considers the therapeutic factors of group therapy over and above what the literal content is, and he talks a lot about some of which overlap definitely with individual therapy, but he talks particularly about things like universality, so the experience of clients realizing that there's commonalities between themselves, their difficulties and others, altruism, so the experience for clients for helping their fellow group members and feeling really good about that, which is something that can't happen so much in individual therapy, normalization of difficulties, peer connection, social training, corrective family experiences that might occur dynamically throughout the group program. That'd be more so probably for longer groups, but not necessarily. I'm not mentioning all of them, but this notion that over and above what you're teaching clients, which in an ERP group would be all of the psychoeducation about what OCD is, the brain, the value of exposures, et cetera, um, distress tolerance, mindfulness and things. It's about the experience when coming together with other people who have the same difficulties as you and that lovely feeling, connection with hope I think is another one, that feeling of not feeling so alone, of reducing some of that sense of loneliness and isolation and that feeling of connection And I think one of the things that we see a lot in our group is the power of hearing feedback from peers. And I think this is particularly relevant for teen groups because we know that one of the main developmental tasks that a teenager will go through is where they start to turn towards their peers and away from the adults in their life, which is a very normal and healthy stage to go through. But what that means is that in a teen group, hearing from their peers about the importance of persevering, the value of doing exposures, encouragement to connect with hope can be far more powerful than it can be hearing from you as an individual therapist or from parents. It can feel much more true and powerful. And that is not limited to teen groups. It's also very, very true for adult groups as well. But it's something that a group can give that individual
0: therapy sometimes can't it's so it's such a valuable lesson for people to experience and it's one of those things i think where especially with our teen groups like you know parents are really hesitant they're like my child doesn't want to participate you know what do we do and we often really encourage parents to just bring them into that one session and slowly slowly you see them warming up having that shared experience that Tori's been talking about and really learning from each other. You see like the attitude just melts away as each session progresses. You know, you get the arms crossed and like, I don't want to be here. (laughs) And I've tried this before and it's not worked. And how is this going to be different? And (laughs) not mindfulness and, you know, (laughs) all this other stuff. But by the end of it, they're right in there trying things, giving things a go, doing things they haven't done in such a long time because of that shared experience. And it is. And sometimes when you bring that your child or young adult, even to individual therapy, you still get that barrier. So sometimes even group therapy is a nice way of just breaking that ice and getting, building that hope, that The young person had lost as well. Yeah. You don't get a lot of that in individual therapy.
1: Yeah, I know. That's true. There are advantages to individual therapy in some ways, as you were saying, you know, the capacity to draw on other therapeutic methods like pausing to do some psychotherapy to explore some of the background issues or underlying issues that might be perpetuating, or
0: there might be some underlying trauma and stuff.
1: Absolutely. But then, as we were just saying, like there's a lot of advantages to group therapy that individual strengths that group therapy has that individual therapy doesn't have. When thinking about treatment, these two go beautifully together. And, and I think group therapy for some is actually a way to access treatment if they're too scared to move into the very intense individual space. Sometimes people will prefer to start with group therapy, but also group therapy is a great adjunct to individual work. If someone is kind of stuck in some way in the individual treatment and they might benefit from going back over some of the fundamentals or connecting with others. Or I think what I tend to find with the teens that I work with a lot, a sense of loneliness and a real yearning to meet others who are going through the same thing and to access that support that they can't get from me. And I think that that's when group therapy is really great. And Sometimes if clients are a little bit stuck and they need some extra eyes on where they're getting stuck, what the barriers are during their exposures, like are they doing exposures, but they're not doing response prevention, for example, are they using distraction too much? Are they avoiding their emotions? So group therapy can be a great way to get other clinicians working with your client, get new insights. Have another look at. So it can be a really great compliment. So I think you can really think about what your client needs, what they're presenting with, and kind of weave these treatments together.
0: Yeah, for sure. One of the common questions we get is like what happens to my one-on-one sessions if I'm participating in group. And we often say, as Tori mentioned, do them at the same time, do them together because you get so much out of it. And whatever the client recognizes that they're getting stuck with in group because there is that extra set of eyes and ears and all the rest of it, but also you have the other group members in the group who become really good at going, hey, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) I just saw you (laughs) compulse, Or what's going on in your mind?
1: And also really encouraging.
0: Do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So whatever's coming up in group can then be addressed in the one-on-one sessions and we often encourage our participants to be like take your manual to your session, work through it, anything that comes up here you can workshop there and it becomes a nice kind of structure for people to follow, which I guess takes us to another difference in terms of what are the differences between individual and group. And one of them is that group is a lot more structured than one on one sessions. Yes, there's structure to one on one sessions, but in group, you tend to follow the manual a lot more closely. And that's because of time limitations. Yeah, and help you stay on track with things and not get sidetracked because it is easy to get lost in that rich discussion that can happen through exploration and all the rest of it. So it's a nice way to just help everyone kind of come back to. What we need to work on and what we need to address during those sessions too and of course we're talking about
1: an erp group because we know that there are non-structured sort of psychotherapy group therapy where there, you know it's not about content it's not a manualized group therapy so when we're talking about this we're talking just about an erp group which is relatively structured in the private practice setting as well which is different to an inpatient setting, which we're not really talking so much about today, we're talking more about the outpatient setting, but also maybe community or public health where there may be different levels of resources in the private practice setting, we're often really restricted by cost. And so often you've got to be quite rigorous with how you plan and deliver a group therapy program, because otherwise it just becomes cost prohibitive to clients who want to attend.
0: And it's a real challenge because funding's limited and we're lucky in Australia where we get Medicare rebates, where clients are able to subsidize some of the costs, but for group therapy, it's a bit, it's a lot. It's very awful. Actually, the rebate's tiny. Oh. Might as well not exist. Yeah, it's really tokenistic. Yeah. <laughs> Probably won't even cover people's petrol to get to the clinic. Yeah, I know. But I guess something's better than nothing. Anyway, that's a different issue. Don't get us started on <laughs> Medicare. We just had our sessions cut down because apparently COVID doesn't exist anymore. So <laughs> I'm not going to go into it. So yeah, it does become. So it's a real, as, as clinicians trying to formulate a program, it is a bit of a juggle trying to balance what's still affordable for clients to participate in and access versus making sure that resources are covered, clinician time is covered and knowledge and all the rest of it too. So it's a delicate balance, but you need to stick to structure in order to get the most out of it to support clients as much as possible.
1: Yeah. So to that end, the structure is actually pretty similar to individual, particularly those early stages, as you said before, we find really useful is to regardless of the level of experience with ERP the participants have, is to go back over psychoeducation. Even I feel like I learn new things or I'm reminded new things when I run group therapy with my colleagues. You know, Celine, you and I have been running groups together for a couple of years now. And I, you know, I'm constantly learning from you and being reminded about things or things we've read are being woven in and, you know... (laughs) And so you can never do that psychoeducation too much unless you're an intellectualizer and you're using it to avoid your ERP, in which case you definitely can do it too much. (laughs) But but that that aside, putting that aside, Mm -hmm. you know, the structure of ERP is very similar. Start with you might want to weave in some assessment, which might be the Y box, just to get a sense of where your participants are at. You then do a lot of psychoeducation, so teaching about OCD, what's happening in the brain, what ERP is, why it works, teaching specific skills such as a lot of mindfulness-based skills, distress tolerance skills, urge surfing, all of these sorts of things. So we're really explicit teaching and opportunities for practice like you would an individual therapy and then building our list of triggers. So your menu or your hierarchy, whichever methodology you prefer, and then getting your participants often practicing. I think what then is woven in as you do all of that, so the framework is very, very similar. So what we like to do is we also like to marry the teaching with interesting points for discussion, like how does OCD impact your life? What's the impact on families? What's the impact on education, on work, on relationships, on identity and your feelings about yourself? So we like to also encourage lots of really interesting dialogue between peer
0: members um, and the between the participants. We generally go with things that are relevant based on the demographic that we're working with. Like, so we have a think about what are some common things that this group of people will be experiencing? What can we reflect on? How does OCD impact that? What does it take away? How does it make their world smaller? And the reason why we've introduced that is to create a sense of, do I really want to be hanging on to this? Is this something that I can, through these discussions, use as a way to motivate me to keep fighting back against OCD? So that richness of life comes back in so people feel like they're actually living life, not existing in life, so that their world keeps expanding, that their functionality increases, that they're just not on autopilot, that they're actually participating And it's really wonderful to hear over the weeks of the program when adolescents are like, I caught the tram with my friends, you know, and they hadn't been on the tram for ages because it was too gross or they finally managed to give their mum or dad a hug after years of not even doing that. And I think it's these moments that we take for granted that when our clients start re-engaging with, we just celebrate. And so we choose those reflective topics based on What would be helpful for that demographic at that time? The reason that um, we mentioned that particular,
1: because even though they are rich discussions, is that we structure those discussions because of time limitations. If we had a longer group, if we were able to run the group
0: for six hours,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's right then uh, conversations like that will just naturally occur and you inevitably end up in those spaces. But we have to kind of, sometimes you've got to kickstart those conversations a little or plant seeds to get people thinking about these concepts that they may not have thought about before. And then the next phase of the ERP and group is the same as individual, which is designing an exposure exercise, but you'll be doing the exposure exercise with the group. And so this is where it actually gets quite a lot of fun is that, I know with some groups out there, Claire Lawson was talking about this in her episode that they uh, will sometimes plan to like go down to the supermarket and things so that you can kind of get your hands grimy in public and things, which is quite a lot of fun if you've got that time and the resources for that. It's about using the space you've got around you, the bathrooms, the kitchen, a toolkit if you create it with lots of sort of triggering. But like we've got,
0: we've got needles and fake knives and real knives and vomit bags,
1: bugs and insects and.
0: Yeah. We've got all sorts of things we can poo emojis.
1: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Participants often have their phones so they can look at triggering content online. They can do some searching and watch some triggering videos or listen to triggering music, things like that. So, you know, it's just getting creative, but in the group space, which is a little bit different to the individual space, you're teaching the participants two things. You're teaching them to do their exposure exercise and then do their urge surfing and engage with their distress tolerance, their mindfulness skills. But you're also teaching them to be champions for each other. So as they're doing their exposures, we're also inviting them to pay attention to their group members, not as a form of distraction, but whether they take turns, one person is the sort of the coach or the peer support and the other does their exposure or whether It's an exercise in mindfulness to tune into their bodies, but also tune into the world around them and see what's happening outside of themselves depends on the skill level of the participants, but getting them to sort of to practice, because I think what is great about this skill is that in coaching their peers, being champions, connect them with hope, what they're doing is they're consolidating their own learning about what they have to be doing to coach themselves they're going to be quite motivated most of the time to do this because they've start developed a relationship and they they care about the person that they're partnered with and so that is a lovely then they can start to develop the vocabulary around hang in there tune back into your body try not to get distracted what's happening in your hands you can do this it's a lovely way to support themselves as they support another and then just the richness of the participants witnessing change in each other, change in themselves, being celebrated, I think is really powerful and I think gives participants quite a lot of a buzz and quite a lot of motivation to persist.
0: 100%. And I love it when we come back from that and reflect together as a group in how everyone went. And then they're like, oh, I just did this thing that I haven't done in however many years. And then it's amazing at how it gets discounted and dismissed <laughs> and like it's no big deal. And we're like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we make a really big deal to celebrate those tasks and those achievements because if we know our clients, that inner critic goes absolutely haywire and really becomes dismissive and you can kind of see that ongoing sense of helplessness almost like, oh yeah, no biggie kind of thing. It's like, well, actually you've just done something you haven't done in like three years. How is that not a big deal? Let's celebrate this. And so when they hear it from their peers as well, and they're all pulling them up on it and getting into it and celebrating it and cheering them on, it becomes this moment of the shoulders drop, the inner critic kind of goes quiet, and then that smile comes on their face. and it gets acknowledged for a change. It's a really wonderful process. Agreed. And then you kind of keep
1: doing that until the end of your group. You keep engaging your participants in exposure tasks. You keep teaching. You keep rehearsing. You keep practicing. You keep... Uh, engaging them in interesting discussions you pick up on interesting things you know like as you were just talking about a common topic we end up talking about is perfectionism and the way that it inhibits progress and that is a classic conversation that we'll have with participants after doing exposures or after the homework review because they'll be minimizing what they did and then you just keep on that process until the end of your group. And then with a view that in the last session or two, you start preparing your participants for the end of the group. So you start to process what they've learned, help them think about where they want to take their exposures, help them do some planning, help them think about how the group members, if they wanted to, how they might stay connected with one another and to continue to be one another's champions, although, of course, that's never mandatory, Yeah, and then uh, give space for saying goodbye and processing the end of group. Which is always sad. I know, it's always sad. So it's the format. There's not a lot of adaptation of the individual
0: ER process that is required for group. It's just really thinking about how can we apply this process to the group setting? What are some interesting questions we can ask? And how can the group help each other to do the Exposure Response Prevention Act tasks that people choose to do? And the reason why you want to keep repeating it is because that repetition breeds consistency, which is what we need in order to establish those neural pathways. We need that consistency to start overriding the compulsions that are also repetitive behaviors that are being applied consistently, but they're maladaptive. So it's how can we bring this in or start overriding those well-established pathways? And it takes time. It's like learning how to walk again after having a stroke. We can't just get back up and off we go. We have to rebuild those pathways. We have to reactivate those signals. And it's not that different. So it does take time. And oftentimes the group process, as Tori mentioned before, is a starting point for a lot of people. And it's just or it's a circuit breaker for others if they're stuck. So it's a way of just encouraging that in order for them to go, okay, this is kickstarting me again. How can I keep going with this when I leave the group? It's not an end point. That's exactly right.
1: As we talk, I think I'm processing what we're talking about and just thinking about the value and just ah uh, conversations are coming to mind. You know, thinking about times when participants have attended and they've been really hopeless and just hearing other group members say, I've been where you are. I really can empathise, but you might not want to hear this, but exposure actually is the way forward. It will start to work. You just kind of have to do it. Just really powerful moments from peer to peer, which just have really resonated with me over time, that I think is just something very special that belongs to group therapy. It's a beautiful tool. It's not always easy to access, but it is wonderful. And for clinicians who work in group therapy, I think clinicians often rave about it, how enjoyable it is. And especially for those who can work with a colleague and, you know, have two colleagues in the group, it's really fun. It is fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> with your mates and with your colleagues. Like it's it's a different dynamic to individual. I, I just... I find it really enjoyable and really meaningful.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because it's different chatting, working with colleagues in the same workplace and then heading off into your separate rooms and doing your therapy sessions versus actually being in the room together.
1: Yeah, that's right. So if anyone has wondered about it or contemplated it, I think you and I both, Celine, you know, really encourage people to give it a go and think about how you could put it into action because it's, um, yeah, it's fabulous most definitely.
0: And it's really, really helpful in giving clients another option for treatment and allowing them to experience and meet other people who are going through very similar things or who have been there before. It's different when we say it to our clients. You like They'll often ask, have you had clients who have blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's still a mystery versus actually meeting the person and asking those questions and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's right. I agree. So that's group therapy. I think we've probably covered it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: If anyone is interested, we do have a group therapy stream at Melbourne Wellbeing Group. We've got a few different programs, don't we? We've got Teens Support Group, which is just one hour once a month. It's designed for people who have done some exposure either in group or individual just as a kind of booster support to come along and pull well, as a peer support model, So just come, hang out, learn some stuff. Open group, come anytime. We've got our teen six-week intensive ERP program, which is we run four times a year during school terms, called Breaking the Rules. (laughs) (laughs) Named that before we named that podcast. (laughs) The original Breaking the Rules. It is actually. And then we've got our adult OCD group, which is also six-week intensive ERP group. And then we've also got a really exciting group launching this year body focused, repetitive behavior group,
0: which you would have heard Tanya talk about in her episode a couple of months back. So yeah, Tanya and our colleague Hannah
1: Gersh have designed that together. They've done a wonderful job. Yeah. Particularly excited for that one because
0: BFRB groups are really hard to come by. So that'll be a
1: really exciting um, addition to the treatment landscape in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, for sure. If anyone's interested, you can download the information packs from our website, which is www.melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au and there's a tab for group therapy in the navigation tools where the website thingy is. Tech language sucks. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Well, that's, that's group therapy. There we go. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive-compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a
1: psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word,
0: that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and and break break the rules. rules.